0: You're listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Lubbock, Texas. Redeemer Church is a gospel-centered, missional family of disciples making disciples in churches planting churches. If you would like to get more information or donate to this ministry, please visit RedeemerLubbock.org. All right, well, good morning, Redeemer. How are we doing? Well, there's some of you here, man, you know? you know. Hey, the 815, man, Eight, eight 840, whatever it is now, yeah. Well, I got coffee there. So, you know, maybe that's something for us. But hey, uh, good morning. My name is Brandon Gilbert. I serve as one of the pastors and also the privilege to serve as the college director here. So if you're new in college or you're coming here, I'd love to meet you. Um, and get to get to know you. And um, if you're joining us for the first time, or maybe it's the first time you've back in a while, or you just need a refresher from last week because this week was really, really tough. Um, we are in our Healthy and Active uh, Disciple series and just kind of examining, um, man, what does it mean to be healthy and active in, in the world today? And so we started... Um, Worth it, a couple years ago, we believed that that God was calling Redeemer into something, that as we begin this kind of next chapter in the life of Redeemer, uh, that God was, was calling us to a vision. And here's what we said. We desire to see people discover God's calling to be intentionally engaged as healthy and active disciples, demonstrating and declaring the gospel both near and far. And so that's our hope. And so if you came in today and and you've got this, we're gonna have sermon notes on page 16. It's also something throughout the week to help you kind of check in where you're at as well. If you didn't get one on the way in, we do have some at the back and you can... You know, nonchalantly sneak out and get them. Just make sure you stay in here and don't just keep going out the door. Um, but man, in a world where, there's, where culture seems to get to define reality, what does it mean for the healthy and active disciple to live in such a, such a countercultural way that our lives are viewed radically different from the world around us? That we are not tied to earthly pursuits, but rather we are compelled by a holy ambition. Uh, this is the hope that we have throughout this series. And, and today in particular, we'll, we'll look at this aspect of healthy and active disciples seek the kingdom. And we're going to join kind of in the middle here of one of, J- of Jesus' longest sermon that's been entitled the Sermon on the Mount. And in this sermon, Jesus is basically shaping a heart and a mindset that was different from the religion of that day. And so if you were, been in our reading plan, you probably read this week, Jesus say often, hey, um, you've heard it said like this, but here's what I say, right? I didn't come to abolish the law and prophets, but came to f- fulfill them. Um, and this was the idea behind Jesus was taking what culture had said in a, in a very religious society that had boiled religion down to do this and do this and don't do this. And if you do this, you're excommunicated from here. He was now flipping the script. He would say things like, um, you've heard it said, don't murder, right? And so all of us in here are like, all right. Well, well, most of us maybe, but you're like, hey, I got it, right? Good there. And self-righteousness began to creep in. They're like, hey, I can keep these things. But then Jesus would flip it and say, hey, if you've ever been angry with somebody, you've committed murder. That's a whole different Self introspection, right? Because I've got to do something with that because Lord knows I was a coach for 15 years. I've been angry, <laughs> right? Like I've got, that, that, that hits at the core. And so, as a healthy and active disciple, I, I grew up in church. Like I'm a church kid. Um, I was a, a counter or a, just a cultural Christian kid who went to youth group uh, all the time and went on church camps. And you, for those of you that heard my story, I'm not going to bore it with you again, but, but there was a lot of cultural Christianity, and, and if you grew up there, this may have been a theme for you, this idea of kingdom-mindedness, right? And there was one verse in the Sermon on the Mount that kind of stuck out to me, and, and maybe it stuck out to you if you have any background in church, and if you don't have any background in church, that's okay, because basically today, we're just examining what are the lenses through which you see the world, and then how do you engage it based on how you see And so look at what Jesus says here in verse 33 of chapter 6. There's this verse here. It says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Now, now that verse in a 90s youth group really stuck out to me, right? Um, if you grew up in, in the youth group, there was a lot of fear-mongering, right? It's like, what does it mean to really seek the kingdom? And if you don't, here's the end, right? Eternal damnation. But that verse stuck out to me. It it wrote an impression on my heart. And as a young kid, it translated like this in my mind. Okay, I got to go home. I got to make a list of all my priorities, what's important and what I value. And I've got to make sure that God is number one on that priority list. And so what soon began to happen is I could compartmentalize my life so well, right? Like I grew, went up to Christian school. So when I was at Christian school, man, and it was chapel, on, right? Raising my hands, youth group, on, right? Like I could go to these different places and be on for Jesus, say the right things in Sunday school. I could say the right things to my parents. You know, I could kind of get all these things said and compartmentalize my life where God was over here and all my passions were over here. And what began to happen is that as I did that, those passions and ambitions began to usurp Jesus' place, right? And so inevitably, guilt and shame and disappointment continually set into my life. Anybody relate? Yeah, okay. Yeah, that thing. So I guess I got a few hands, right? You're like, I don't know what you're talking about. But that was me. Is it compartmentalized? And So there was no kingdom-mindedness to this quote-unquote Christian life I was trying to follow. It was don't do this, stay away from this, don't do this and make sure that God doesn't get there and, you're, and if he does and you're constantly a disappointment to him and Jesus doesn't want anything to do with you. And it was only about staying away from certain quote unquote secular things and only embracing the Christian stuff. And what it really boiled down to was just the same thing that Jesus was talking to the first century Judea about. You've heard it said this, but I'm telling you this. And so what does it really mean for us to be kingdom-minded in such a way where we are free to pursue Jesus, free to engage the world around us, and free to see things not from a temporal perspective, but rather with an eternal hope? What does that look like? And that's what I wanna ask us today is what does it mean What is the kingdom that you're seeking and do you need Jesus to get there? And so let's look here at the verse that that Kelly read. I'm not gonna be able to match that, but you know, here you are, you're stuck with me. So look at verse 19. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so what we're finding here in chapter six is this passage in particular, 19 through 24, is like a transitional tie-in passage. So he's gonna refer a lot back to chapters five and the first part of six, and then set the framework for the rest of six and seven based on this chapter right here. And it's seeking to tie all the things that Jesus is saying into this one unified pursuit and focus of things that will actually last and a reality that we're called to live in that isn't part of this broken world here. And so in verses 19 and 21 particular, Jesus is going to implore the disciples to store up treasures in heaven of eternal value. He's going to implore them to go after things that really matter to not be caught up in this worldly pursuit, but rather he's gonna step back and go, what are your values and your passion? What are you seeking and why are you seeking them? And then skip down to verse 24 because he ends it here. He ends this little section with this. No one can serve two masters for either he'll hate the one and love the other or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now, I'm not jumping into some tithing sermon, so you can just relax a minute, all right? But what Jesus is saying is he's using money as the example because I think it's universal, right? It's this universal example of loyalty and service that a healthy and active disciple will not have divided loyalties. Because what happens is when we have divided loyalties, we'll go one way and that's towards self-preservation. I mean, think about when you value things so much in this world, what begins to happen? When you go into self-preservation mode, you want to protect your preferences. You want to make sure that fear, like we, we're so fear-driven in society that we just kind of go into our holy huddle and we just embrace this part of our lives that we're like, I just need to preserve what I have, right? Right? and we end up in this fortress of VeggieTales and Michael W. Smith worship songs, and we're not engaging the world around us. And those of you, those Gen Xers out there, are like, I got you, man, I got you. <laughs> Gen Z's like, what is Michael W. Smith? <laughs> but this is the, this is the ideal. If we're kingdom-minded, if, if there's a point where we can focus past the, past the temporal and into the eternal, what begins to happen is we have selfless leadership. So there's this point where Jesus is like, hey, there's divide. when you're divided loyalties, you will seek to self-preserve. You, you will seek to go after. This is why you can't serve God and things, why your loyalty has to be to one or the other. Or... When it's rightly seen and the kingdom is what we hold up, then we walk in selfless leadership. Like, isn't this what Jesus did? Didn't he say things like, hey, um, I didn't come to be served, but to serve? You know, Philippians, where it's like, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Like Jesus was about laying and going to the marginalized of society and laying down the preferences that his human nature so wanted to pursue and embracing this idea of selfless leadership. But how do we get there? Glad you asked. Because sandwiched in between these two are the two verses that I really want us to dig into today. Look at verse 22. Jesus says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great the darkness. And so when we look at a healthy and active, the kingdom-minded person is fixed on that which is healthy long-term and sees through the lenses of what they value that leads to eternal action. You see, th- this is the thing. We're all valuing something, right? Like all of us have value that leads to action. The kingdom-mindedness, those who have, are disciples of Jesus, like what separates us is not that somehow we're better or doing it any better. It's that God has given us vision to see past the temporary and into an eternal hope. So as a, as a worldview teacher, I got to teach worldview for like five years or something. And, and we would talk to our seniors often about this idea of a biblical worldview, like all the time. And my kids, man, they, they were church kids. They grew up in church culture. They were like me. They could spout out the right answers. How's a biblical worldview? What's a biblical worldview? Well, coach, it's all about Jesus. Right, right? Like, like Jesus in the Bible. And, and you could spout out these answers. But when you press them, on life, and you press them on issues of culture and society, and you you press them on issues of truth? Is the Bible all true? Well, I don't know, it's kind of written for their time. Questions about the afterlife or good versus evil. It became apparent that most of their convictions were not around the truth and letting the gospel penetrate from there, but rather around the felt needs at the moment of what they saw. Their their eyesight was often fixed more on the values and hopes in the here and now than on the kingdom that Jesus came to initiate through his life, death, and resurrection. And so my mind began to work. And as I was reading through the scripture, I was like, okay, so that's really easy to say, but, but what does it mean to have healthy eyesight? Like, what does that actually look like? What does it mean for me to gaze into this world, see past the brokenness and have kingdom minded and seek the kingdom? Well, I think there's three components to what Jesus would get at as a healthy eye so that, listen, as we see the world, light penetrates from us and the world around us sees us as different. And so here are the three components that we wanna look at today. The first one is a valuing eye, a valuing eye. The kingdom-minded person focuses in on what is of real worth and value. So often in in our world today is that we can define value by a finite set of principles, right? So we define value by prosperity and success and power. I mean, look at the culture what we have risen to the place of valuable in our culture, Right? We, we look around and we are an entertainment-driven culture. More money spent towards that than anything. Like we are driven by entertainment. We've risen the worth and value of people based on those principles. That value is not often found in what lasts, but that which is fading. Or, we've completely forgotten about value because we have our head down and we are so busy with the day in, day out tasks of life that we don't even know what's valuable. We get up, we do our nine to five, we go home, we eat dinner, usually throwing some chicken nuggets at the kids as we're going to practice. And then we come back, we sit down, we binge watch the office till 11. And then we go to sleep and we get up and do it all over again. And Jesus would say this in Matthew 7 towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount. He said, "He said, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and they beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. You see, the wise man in this parable saw the value in building, not where it was easy, not on the sand with the, with the beach right in front of him, but rather the value was on the word of God, right? So the valuing eye founds, finds value in the word of God. It is tied quickly to that. The only way that the good eye is developed and gets to see past the temporary and into the eternal perspective is that the healthy eye is connected often and reads the word of God. And if we're not there, guys, like as a church, something's gonna determine value for us. There's too much in the world screaming for attention and value. And the world will tell you what your value is. But when we're in the word and our lives are tethered to the scriptures and tethered to him, what what begins to happen is there is a holy ambition that we will pour our lives out for. The true value is the value that the word says is real and worth pursuing. Value in what being a child of God really means. Value in what the king says you are and not what culture says you are. And when we have that mindset, the action that begins to flow out of the healthy disciple is that we engage people and culture as image bearers of Jesus. That we don't look at us versus them, but rather we see value in all that God has created and we engage people with the dignity that God has created them with. Like we engage with healthy and active, as an healthy and active disciple. The second component is a discerning eye. The kingdom minded sees truth in all things. In in a world so drastically divided and where to disagree is now the the height of offense. The gospel empowers the disciple to enter in and see truth in all things. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians. He says, so let Let no one boast in men, right? Basically, don't boast in this stuff here. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, these different pastors and preachers in that time, or the world or life or death or past or present or future, all are yours and you are Christ and Christ is God. Truth is, is the believers. What is true about the world that we are to look past our preferences and we lean into the realities of what God's word says. We cannot have discerning eyes if we don't have valuing eyes first. I I grew up in, in the culture where it was just like escape everything. Stay away from it. And I think there are definitely things that God speaks to. I'm not... I'm not advocating for just like free-for-all Christianity. Don't let me say that. But what happened in my Christianity was I was so often on the defensive. Everybody was out to get me. Everybody was out. They were all out for you. And what the gospel empowers us to do, what the healthy vision empowers us is to enter into places where truth has been taken captive by the devil and bring gospel attention to it. So when I see things at a movie, right? This is, this is the training of our eyes. I, I go see a movie. I'm constantly looking for gospel implications because maybe I'm sitting next to a guy on a plane who's seen that movie. And maybe there's a spiritual conversation that can be there. Like we are in the redeeming business as healthy and active disciples that we enter into arguments and debates and we get to see both sides, not for temporary solutions, but rather for eternal perspective. And we get to see the eternal value. And so we allow God to define the truth. And then through that, we get to evaluate our time and our focus. What are we spending it on? Because if I'm constantly binge watching Netflix, right? Like it just draws us in. It's like five seconds, the next episode starts, and you're like, should I, should I? That, okay, I'm just gonna watch it again. Four hours later, you pop up and you're like, God, I went through four seasons, Parks and Rec. Gee whiz. You see, the active disciple is able to evaluate what they're spending their time on and where their focus is drawn to and through what eyes we're discerning the world If we're tethered to the word, there's discernment to be reconcilers for Jesus. That we go, right? This is what Jesus said. Jesus didn't say in Matthew 28, hey, come to church. He said, go and make disciples. Literally, while we're going, we enter into areas of culture with discerning, redeeming eyes. To bring forth the truth of what God has. We don't have to be on the defensive as Christians. As disciples, healthy and active disciples, we engage culture and seek to redeem it. The third one is a treasuring eye. The kingdom minded is focused here and compelled by a big view of the majesty of God, that it gives itself over to an otherworldly pursuit that in a world where treasures are rarely valued past their seasons, right? Like just remember the Jordans that you had to have as a kid. Y'all remember those? I know Des does. Y'all remember the Jordans you had to have as a kid, right? I stood in line for like four hours every year waiting for that footlocker drop to come, man. Where are those Jays now? They're in the bottom of the Lubbock landfill. That treasure that I had to have. You see, the, the treasuring eye doesn't get caught up in these things that are for a season, but rather is compelled by the big majesty of God. Listen to Psalm 145 as the author is shouting to the Lord, all your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man, your mighty deeds, and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. As a healthy disciple, we are captured by the massive reconciling story of a loving God. So when I step outside in the morning or in the evening and I get to see the array of beauty from a sunset or a sunrise, that doesn't terminate on me, but rather is, is brought forth by God for me to turn back and give him glory, to treasure him above all. And active disciples then as we treasure God, we see all that God has given us, all the resources to be put forth for the kingdom, to be leveraged for his purposes. And I think what's really easy for us to do and why this is so countercultural, and why we need the gospel to empower us to do this is because it is so easy for us to create a kingdom that is comfortable and conforms to us. That one where we get to define what's important and what's valuable and what's worth treasuring, one where we can sleepwalk from task to task and we can so nonchalantly be consumed by insufficient goals. Jesus tells the story in Matthew 19 of this rich young ruler who comes to him and says, hey, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, hey, do all keep the commandments. And the dude has said, I got it. I've done it, done it all. And Jesus says, hey, you just lack one thing. Go, go sell all you have, give to the poor and come follow me. You see, Jesus going back to this idea in the Sermon on the Mount where he flips it It wasn't about what he did, but it was about the posture of his heart. It says that dude went away sad. What often happens is we create these kingdoms, but but here's the the hope. The gospel, the work of Jesus through his life and death and resurrection offers us something greater than this. It offers us a life that transcends the here and now and is submitted to a holy ambition where the rich young ruler failed, Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane through drops of blood says, not my will, but yours be done. Like this is, this is more than an example. This is the avenue for which we access kingdom mindedness. This is how we seek the kingdom is that Jesus as demonstrating healthy and active discipleship, man, goes to the cross, submits to the will of the Father, raises again three days later. And here's the great thing. Believer, this kingdom-mindedness is yours in Christ. It's not something you have to conjure up. It's something that's yours because of your faith and trust in him. The Holy Spirit comes alongside and partners with the believer to grow in Christ-likeness. And here's the reality that we're caught up in as healthy and active disciples. It wouldn't be a Brandon Gilbert sermon without a John Piper quote, so here it is. God created me and you to live with a single, all-embracing, all-transforming passion, namely a passion to glorify God by enjoying and displaying his supreme excellence in all spheres of life. You tell me that's not worth pouring everything out for. If You are in Christ today. This is the purpose, to glorify him in every aspect, not to set up priority lists and just try to white knuckle it to the end, but rather you've been given access into this pursuit of a holy God. And and if you're not a believer here today, then we're grateful that you're here, but, or maybe you fall into that category like my students did with your mouth. You would say these things, but with your heart and your actions, you know you're far from there. Like, listen, you cannot be about the kingdom of the gospel if you haven't first entered the kingdom. If you have not put your faith and your hope in the finished work of Jesus on the cross and in the resurrection and confessed him as Lord of it all, you will live a life of frustratingly temporary pursuits. God offers us so much more. And in a minute, we're gonna have this time of response. And maybe your response is to what God's been stirring in your heart. Maybe your response is to submit your life to the king, to stop living in that frustration of moving from thing to thing and treasure to treasure, knowing it ultimately won't fulfill. Being a disciple is not about white knuckling it. It's not about doing it on our own. Being a disciple that seeks the kingdom is an all-encompassing gospel-driven life that is saturated with our focus on Jesus and our ultimate hope that he is coming to restore all things to his name and we get to be a part and play a little role in that. That's the hope today. Healthy and active disciples seek the kingdom not on their own, but by the power of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, what a beauty your word is. That it offers us hope not to conform to a set of rules and regulations, but rather to follow a king. And so, man, today I know there are people all over the place in this room. They're seeking you and they're frustrated or, man, they're really following you and you're flourishing them. Or, man, they're just in here today and they got a lot of questions. Lord, will will you come and meet them where they're at? That we let the gospel stir up their affections for Jesus. And God, as healthy and active disciples, may we pursue that kingdom. So not for our sake, but for the sake of the kingdom being made known both here and far. God, that in this room, you would raise up missionaries that would be sent to the ends of the earth, that you would raise up disciples, that God, you would rejuvenate families. By your grace, you would move and you would work for your great glory. God, create in us a holy angst, a desire, a holy ambition. In Jesus' name, amen.